Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to we start in New York City. We always are in New York City to start with. And then we get on a big old ship mm. across the Atlantic to go to Europe. A liner. Uh, a liner. Exactly. Well, this week we are doing the 1953 Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Shall I set the table? I mean, I mean, not. Shall I intro? What do you mean? I'm going to do an intro, and uh, then you will do the particulars. Okay. Why are you asking? You know what? No, scrap your intro. We're just going. <laughs> no, go ahead. Gentlemen prefer blondes is about two glamorous va 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 voom showgirls who have everything a girl could want except engagement rings. In a quest for true love, Lorelai, Marilyn Monroe, and uh, her, and this said, and her gold digger pal Dorothy, but Dorothy was not a gold digger. No, that's confused them. Yeah, like, yeah, it has. Yeah, Lorelai is the is the character that you just described, and the gold right. digger is Lorelai. Right. Jane Russell is Dorothy. Set sail on a luxury liner to France. The pair hit rocky waters when a detective, an overage millionaire, and an entire Olympic gymnastics team interact. The particulars. Ah. Gentlemen prefer blondes. It was released in Atlantic City on July 1st, 1953, and in New York City, July 15th, 1953. It's directed by Howard Hawks, who directed Scarface, Bringing Up Baby, Red River, The Big Sleep, His Girl Friday, and To Have and Have Not, just to name a few. It was produced by Sol C. Siegel. He also produced High Society, all the Fine Young Cannibals, Butterfield 8, The Iron Curtain. He was head of MGM for three years. And during that time, he also greenlit Ben-Hur and North by Northwest. Ah. It was written by Charles Lederer. He was raised by his aunt, Marion Davies, who was the mistress of William Randolph Hearst. And this all might be familiar because we went through him when we did His Girl Friday, because he wrote that in the front page, he wrote The Spirit of St. Louis, the original Ocean's Eleven, and Mutiny on the Bounty. It's based on the musical Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which is based on the novel Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which was by Anita Luce. And she is considered to be the first ever staffed scriptwriter ah. when she was hired in 1912 by D.W. Griffith and put on the, his payroll at the Triangle Film Corporation. She has over 139 writing credits to her name. Wow. A lot. Um, she also wrote the novel But Gentlemen Mary Brunettes. She also like was I don't know if she, I guess she wrote like the Broadway musicals Gigi and Sherry. I'm telling you, she, like 138 writing credits. So there's so many movies. Most of them were silent. And then the musical. Wait, wait, wait. Writing credits and most of them were silent? Well, 
Yes. Yes. Just because there wasn't dialogue that you could hear, you think that, what do you think they shot when they showed up on set? Were they like, well, we don't need to worry about a script because <laughs> nobody can hear us. Like, it still needed to be written. Everybody needed to be on the same page. Okay. Well, I, I just think it was maybe a little less work. Oy vey. <laughs> if anything, it was more work. Ah, okay. It was all the show, don't tell. And also, it was like, we've never done this before. Now, you have over 100 years of cinema that you can reference. Then it was, well, what did Shakespeare do? Ah. What are plays doing? This is a different medium. We have to push it. I know, but still. So, <sighs> unbelievable that you are poo-pooing Anita Luce and her 138 writing credits because most of them happened in silent film and at the the early stages of motion pictures. I am only speaking for our listeners who might have been confused as well. So now that we have been woke, we understand. <sighs> Joseph Fields, he also... <laughs> did Flower Drum Song and Wonderful Town. I believe those were musicals. Okay, so just to recap, this is the movie Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which is based on the Broadway musical Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which was based on the novel Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And right. I think it might have also been, there might have been another movie that was written in the silent era called gentlemen prefer blondes ah uh, but without dialogue right okay so the music in this we have hoagie carmichael who wrote stardust georgia on my mind the nearest of you heart and soul lazy bones skylark he was one of tim pan alley's most famous composers and Tim Pan Alley had to do with it was like you know um, what's her face in the Brill Building tapestries woman, hey, Carol King. Yeah, how like she was in the Brill Building, and it was called the Brill Build because they were in the Brill Building. So this was Tim Pan Alley. It was like that from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. Oh, okay. That's. Those guys were like, they were Motown. They were popping out all the hits. Oh. So this Hoagie Carmichael, he's the most famous of them. And he was just like, boom, boom, boom. I got a song. I got a song. Yeah, Heart and Soul from Big. That's yeah. him. Du, 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 he came up with that. Du, 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 du. And then Jewel Stein, he also... Um, he wrote the song Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. He also worked on Gypsy and Funny Girl. I think he, I think he might have written People from Funny Girl. Uh, Elliot Daniel, there's nothing. People who need people. I think so. And then you have Leon Newman. He did Hello Dolly, Dr. Doolittle, There's No Business Like Show Business. 
yeah, he is part of that Newman family clan that we've talked about with Randy Newman, where they have mm-hmm. like 92 nomin- like Oscar nominations between the family. The director of photography was Harry J. Wilde. There was no hyperlink to his name. Edited by Hugh S. Fowler, who also edited The Seven Year Itch and Patton and The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Starring. I don't know who was in The Life and Times of Roy Bean. Paul Newman. Oh, interesting. Which reminds me, coming up, September, Paul Newman month. Uh, We're still celebrating the month he died and not the month he was born? We decided that we were sticking to the bit, Ma. Okay, we're going to stick with the bit. We just, because January was when he was born, but we felt that that short-sighted him because it was after the holidays and all that stuff. Yeah. So we were like, no. Okay. September, we're all in. I'm all in. So, it's great. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Choreography by Jack Cole. On the stage, he did Kismet, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Man of La Mancha. And then movies, he did the choreography for Some Like It Hot, Gilda, and Moon Over Miami, to name a few. Now we're at the cast. The movie stars Jane Russell as Dorothy Shaw. She was in The Outlaw, The Pale Face, Son of Pale Face, Gentleman Mary Brunettes, and Road to Bali, to name a few. Mm. Marilyn Monroe as Laura Lee, as Laura Lai Lee. She was in Some Like It Hot, The Misfits, The Prince and the Showgirl, The Seven Year Itch, How to Marry a Millionaire, James Coburn, Sir Francis Piggy Beekman. He was in The Lady Eve. He was in Heaven Can Wait, Around the World in 80 Days, The Devil and Mrs. Jones, Elliot Reed as Ernie Malone. He was in The Absent Minded Professor, Son of Flubber, Murder She Wrote, The Odd Couple, I Love Lucy, Perry Mason, and in the Seinfeld episode, The Letter. Tommy Noonan, he was Gus Esmond. He was in 1954's A Star is Born, Violent Saturday, and Bundle of Joy. Taylor Holmes as Mr. Esmond Sr. He was in Joan of Arc, A Christmas Carol, Father of the Bride. Norma Varden, she was Lady Beekman. Listen to what this woman was in, just as a just a brief synopsis. Like these, like I always try to read people's highlights of movies, and sometimes they're I don't know about highlights because I haven't heard of them. Right. Listen to these movies that I'm like, what movies was she in? Have I heard of them? Casablanca, National Velvet, Witness for the Prosecution, The Man. Sound of Music, Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, because she was uh, an older woman in 1953, so you would think that there wouldn't be that many that you would know, but those are some pretty big hitters. She knew when to say yes. Mm, she did. We have George Foghorn Winslow. He was Harry Spofford III. He was in, see, like then this, these, Monkey Business, The Rocket Man, Love Summer, and Wild Heritage. I never heard of any of those. No, because the Rocket Man is not 
the current rocket man about Sir Elton. Right. Okay. So that's why, and I wasn't even going to write her down, but that's why sometimes you click on it and like, well, let me just see. And then you're like, what? Casablanca? National Velvet? Witness for the prosecution? Damn, lady. Yeah. So those are the particulars. There we go. Well, it opens with these two va-va-va-voom women in sparkly sequiny red singing a song about being from Little Rock. And then it goes into, and it is Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. And then it goes into the credits are rolling as the music is um, playing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, uh, the instrumental. Okay, so the two girls come off stage and there is a goofy guy in the audience who is just like totally in love with Marilyn. And so she tells the stage manager, you know, bring him back. Because she's telling Dorothy, yeah, I saw this. I saw a bulge in his pocket. Don't get excited, girls. This is 53. And it was in the shape of a box. So I think he's going to give me an engagement ring. Okay. Well, then Jane Russell, she says, you might be the only woman I know who can see a diamond in a man's pocket with a spotlight in your eye in the audience. <laughs> Jane Russell had many good uh, one-liners because she was the no-nonsense one. Well, it's interesting because this movie, I thought we had done it before because I had recent, not, I guess I had recent, before we started this podcast, I had seen it, watched it. And so when I started watching it again, I was like, wait a second, I've seen this. So then I remember what the first time that I saw it, I watched it because it was like, oh, it's Marilyn Monroe. I didn't know who Jane Russell was. So uh-huh. the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, like Jane Russell stole the film for me the first time I saw it uh-huh. because I was uh-huh. not I was I wasn't aware that she was a such a thing. She was a thing that it was that I was just like, who's yeah. All right. The brunette with Marilyn Monroe, whatever. And I was like, this Jane Russell is hilarious. And but then this time I watched it, I did a 180 and I was like, my gosh, Marilyn Monroe was very underrated. It's not easy Mm -hmm. to be to play a dumb blonde and she isn't even that dumb. She's just playing dumb. She's Mm -hmm. actually very smart and knows what she wants and how to go about the best way getting it. Yes. And I was just like, oh, what? Yes. And so he does come backstage and he does give her uh, an, a huge rock, an engagement ring. And in fact, Jane Russell says something about, dang, that, that's, that's, that. Cause, cause she, he says, is it the right size? And Marilyn Monroe is going, well, I think it's big enough. Uh, she's talking about carrot weight and he's talking about, does it fit your finger? <laughs> Jane Russell says something like, yeah, all you need to do is put some scotch with that, meaning it was the size of an ice cube. Okay, so um, he and she calls him Mr. Esmond, her her new fiance, Mm -hmm. and that they're going to be married. They're going to go to France to be married. 
And Jane Russell's like, why don't you just get married here and go to France on your honeymoon? Well, we find out why, because Mr. Esmond's father continues to call him because he wants to break up this relationship. Which, if you're the Mr. Esmond Sr., your son, who you know your son, and you know that he's he's not a playboy, and he's falling for Marilyn Monroe, you're kind of like, I know exactly what this woman's after. And she's after my son's money. Because the, the father, you know, it's not his first rodeo. True. True. And truth be told, she was. Okay, so um, she, um, she says they're going to France to get married because then the father can't get in touch with her fiancé quite so readily. See, so she had method to her madness. Well, Nothing's going to go wrong this very time. Very smart. Yeah, this time, which has implied that she has tried this before and it hasn't gone her way. But this exactly. time, but every time it doesn't go her way, what does she do? She makes little notes and she learns from her mistakes, hence why they're going to France. That's right. Okay, so next scene, we're at the port. And we see an entire gymnastics team getting on board, at which point I was rather snobbish about um, the age of the gymnastics team. Excuse me. Well, were they the gymnastics team or were they just the American Olympic team? It was the American Olympic gymnastics team. Okay. Gymnastics in 1953, it must have changed because I've seen the gymnasts now and they would be like busting out of those little blazers they had on. There's no way they can do an iron cross T on the rings. Those guys with those spindly shoulders. I mean, well, we, we did, remember we how Li Xiaoshuang looked. Li Xiaoshuang. We did see them performing in one of the musical numbers. Well, yes, they were performing, but I wasn't ever like. No, you weren't. That's an oh, Olympic gym. Look at those biceps. I thought that they were just, you know what they were, honestly, and that's one of the great things about this movie, excuse me, is they were, if, oh, it's usually the other, the reverse way, they were just like the eye candy. They were some eye candy. Yeah, usually it was just like, oh, there's the women's gymnastics team. They Mm -hmm. would, they would all be look like cast to look like Marilyn Monroe and stuff. And meanwhile, you know that the U.S. Olympic gymnast team are all under five feet tall, and they are very, very muscular. I'm not taking away from their beauty or their sexuality or anything, but it's just, you know, Marilyn Monroe is not going out and be competing with Simone Biles. In fact, um, Dorothy is supposed to be the chaperone for Lorelai, Marilyn Monroe. And uh, somebody on the ship says, you know, we got to watch out and make sure that those two don't drown. And somebody goes, those two can't drown. Implying that they have their own flotation devices already attached. Which, that's not how boobs work. (laughs) It's not how boobs work. Boobs don't just keep you afloating. afloating. No, no. Okay, anyway. Uh, I thought it meant that those two couldn't drown because there was always at least 
one guy watching them. And as you know soon what? as they got into the water, like there would be five men just diving in to save them. Okay, let's go with that. I didn't, I I didn't realize that it was, was a the flotation devices. You go with that. Because there were always at least five men around. Yeah, but you are right because that was apparently Jane Russell in her movie The Outlaw. That's what she became known for was her boobs. So. And some pretty nice games, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was playing the dumb blonde. Uh, and and on the dock, we see this detective who's being told to watch the blonde. Wasn't there something about the detective? Didn't he remind you of somebody? Like, he he got market corrected out of a spot? Like, hmm... He was to me. He was kind of in the vein of like a Dick Van Dyke, ah. where he's not. Except I think Dick Van Dyke is handsomer than this guy because this guy I didn't find him handsome, but there was just this easygoing charm about right, him. Right, right. There was kind of almost smart alecky, but not really because it didn't. He wasn't mean about it. Like honestly. He would be, he was, he was very Tom Hanks, very, very young Tom Hanks in that, yeah. you know, Tom Hanks wasn't, Tom Hanks wasn't Brad Pitt when we first saw Brad Pitt. And you're like, oh my God, who is that guy? Yeah, you did. You know? And you just kept rewinding that part of Thelma and Louise. One more time. No, come one more. I know they go over the cliff. Let's watch Brad. One, one yeah, more one more time. time. Yeah, where Tom Hanks was just this easygoing guy. Like, not that he's like Tom Hanks isn't ugly by any means, but no, you're he's never pleasant looking. Yeah, you're not going to turn off the station because he's on. But there was always something about his charm that exactly. came through, of like almost like this nice guy sort of thing. Yeah, which okay, that's we why we don't see... have a. Like, we can't figure out a new Tom Hanks because it's very hard to pull off. Yes. Yes, because you're either like. Um, uncomfortably cast against Charlize Theron as there is no way that's going to happen. Um, so, because he's not like, like Seth Rogen is, is okay, I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. Oh, you're, you're saying that Seth Rogen is the new Tom Hanks. No, I'm saying he's not because he's not cute enough. I mean, he's not pleasant enough looking. Ah. Well, I, I I understand that point, but I don't think that Tom Hanks is that far in front of Seth Rogen when it comes to looks. Oh, he, he, does, he usually doesn't have that belly rolling over his belt. Wow, Ma, now you're just <laughs> body shaming people. I, I, I'm just going... I'm, I'm going into the particulars of why I find Tom Hanks a Seth a Rogen kinder... has gotten more svelte as he's aged. Okay, okay. I'm happy for him. I still say there is no way, no way, someone who looks like Charlize Theron would be followed for sure. Uh, okay, we're going to move on. I think there is, because I think I would beg and push back that someone like Charlize Theron is so attractive that 95% of the people are too flabbergasted to even approach her because it's like, well, I don't stand a chance. 
I'm not even going to say anything. And it would take someone like Seth Rogen, who is just a doofus and knows he doesn't have a chance to just be like, nah, why not? Y- you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, and true. he's like, what's another rejection on my belt? Well, that's true. And under that's how belt, that ends. It's under my belly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So the fiance gives her a letter of credit when she doesn't know what that is, but it is like uh, a cashier's check that she can take to the bank in France and she'll have plenty of money. Do you think that she really didn't know what it was? Well, there's two, there are two schools of thought on that. If we're going for the, wow, she is that smart to be that dumb. Or there's the, maybe she, Maybe she, well, she has been through this. She yeah. has, this is not her first. Review, and she says so. the line, which nerd alert, Marilyn Monroe insisted that be in the movie that says, I'm not as dumb as people think I am. It's just, I haven't no- actually written down. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to butcher it. Yeah, because you are, because you already are on the mm-hmm. wrong path. But um, let me find it because I have a lot here. I can be smart when it's important, but most men don't like it. Mm-hmm. See, okay. it starts off going Fredo and then comes back around out of Fredo. It's like, watch out. Okay. I can be smart. Okay. Ooh, you're Fredoing it. So we have found out through uh, Dorothy and Lorelai's uh, conversations that Lorelai wants the money. She doesn't care what the dude looks like. She wants the money. Dorothy always goes for a cute guy, a good-looking guy who doesn't have any money. Dorothy does not care about the money. She cares about real love. Well, the way that I read, heard it was that Dorothy cares about the looks. She doesn't care about the money. And that Lorelai doesn't care about the looks she cares about the money. Neither of them ever discuss true love. Well, okay. Okay. Well, Dorothy invites everybody to a party, the entire gymnastics team and everybody. But, um, oh, and, and fiance Esmond is saying goodbye to Marilyn Monroe saying, look, a lot depends on how you conduct yourself on this trip because my father's <laughs> going to know everything. If you do anything out of uh, the realm of decency, uh, I'm not going to be able to marry you It's because it, he's going to know. So please keep yourself, c- conduct yourself accordingly. Well, which if we do like spindle this out, if she were to do something uncouth, and he can't marry her. I think that he, it's one of those, well, would he break off the engagement or would he be like, I can be disowned by my family. It's fine. I love you. And then she's like, wait a second. You don't have any money. Right. Because now this is a problem for me. And he was quite dorky looking. Yeah. So. You're not, you're not that good looking to be that poor. Okay, so we have a musical number with Jane Russell. And Marilyn Monroe sings Bye Bye Baby to her fiancé. 
the ship is sailing. Actually, it was the ship used in the movie Titanic. Not the one you know, people, but before that. Uh -huh. um, Marilyn Monroe is trying to find a suitable gentleman for Dorothy on the ship. You know, because she already has her mm -hmm. engagement. She's like, I'm going to be your wing woman. Let's go. And this is where Dorothy says she doesn't care about money. And Marilyn says, I want you to find happiness and stop having fun. Okay, then we have another musical number while the gymnastics team is working out. Mm -hmm. Okay, Marilyn Monroe goes to the Mater D of the dining room and wants to have Henry Spoffett III placed at their dinner table. Oh, yeah, because Marilyn... there was something about how they were. she was looking at the passenger list and if it had a name, after, uh, initials after the name, it meant that they had money. Yeah, I didn't understand it, but it, it was like an Esquire or something. Well, yeah, but, it yeah. was like one of those old 1950s, like, people on boats kind of rich thing. Right. And so evidently, Henry Spoffett III had the most of them. Mm -hmm. So she says, put that dude at our table. And um, the maitre d's going, look, the seating chart's already made out. I can't do that. And she goes into, like... Uh, saying you know if i take all my food in my cabin every night you're not going to have all these men paying a lot of money just to be around me so you want to make me happy so she so takes does. back the power because she had known this wasn't her first rodeo she knew that when she gets on the boat everybody goes to the mater d throws him some money because they all want to be at her table and so she wants this guy, and the maitre d' says, all the, all the spots are full. So she's like, all right, well, if you don't want to do this for me, I know that you've been making all this money off of me, my likeness off for of these my guys, off of my back. So what if I just take all my meals in my cabin? Don't think I won't. So the maitre d' is like, damn it. I guess yeah, she's saw not that so coming. Yeah, she's not dumb. Well, we see this detective lurking, you know, because he's keeping an eye on Marilyn. Well, Jane Russell meets this dude, this old, old dude, who happens to be the owner of a diamond mine. Wow. What? And his nickname is Piggy. And she's saying, please don't spread around the fact that you were on a diamond mine because my friend is going to just, and just then Marilyn Monroe walks up and says, oh, do you own a diamond mine? And he goes actually to in South Africa. So we know where that's going. Blood diamonds, am I right? Blood diamonds. And they start flirting. Well, Marilyn Monroe doesn't see his head. All she sees is a diamond. Yes, yes. <laughs> Again, she doesn't care what they look like. Um, because diamonds can blind you before you actually have to perform with this person. Okay, Detective Malone. Malone is the detective's name, and he meets Dorothy. And she tells him to go whistle up a rope. I can't stand rich playboys because he had falsely stated that he had money he didn't have. And uh, she goes, money is the hobby of Lorelai. Well, at this point, Piggy's wife comes in literally dripping diamonds. She couldn't, she had on like two diamond necklaces. She had on 
several bracelets and rings. And at this point, she, out of her purse, just pulls out a tiara. <laughs> well, yeah, because she doesn't want to leave it in the safe. Yeah. So it's it's safer with me in my old hands. So um, Lorelai says she doesn't she doesn't understand can i just hold it and how do you get it around your throat you know how do you get it on your neck and she goes oh no 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 it's a tiara it goes on your head and lorelei says oh i just love finding new places to wear diamonds (laughs) well it's dinner and so um there are i think six men at their table but there's an empty spot waiting on henry spoffett the third at which point Henry Spoffett arrives and he's maybe eight, 10 years old. Yeah. So that was a misjudgment. He's a little kid. And then. Um, but he's Jane, a great little kid. He has, he has some good lines. Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe are walking in. Oh, no, 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 no. They walked in and the whole place shut down. Okay. Then Jane Russell is walking with. Uh, Detective Malone, not knowing that he is spying on Lorelai. Marilyn Monroe is dancing with Piggy. um, And Malone is saying to Jane Russell, how can two girls be so different and such good friends? And they kiss. Next day, Jane Russell sees said Detective Malone taking pictures through the porthole window of their room, cabin, whatever you call it. And she realizes, oh my gosh, he is going to send those pictures to a newspaper and that's going to ruin Piggy and it's going to ruin Marilyn Monroe's engagement. Mm -hmm. So we need to get the pictures back. So uh, that ensues. Marilyn sneaks into Malone's room to try to find the pics And she gets locked in. Then she sees uh, the porthole window. So she tries to climb out of that. And she gets stuck just like Winnie the Pooh got stuck in Rabbit's hole because he ate all the honey and he got fat and he couldn't get out. Oh, yeah. So then the the little boy, Henry Moffat, comes by and she asks him to help. and And a comic bit ensues. Um, so, um, harder dinner for three in our cabins. Oh, they know that Malone has the pictures. They aren't in his cabin, so they must be on his person. So Jane Russell says, order dinner for three and we will have him come in and we will fleece him. We'll go through his pockets and find the roll of film. Mm. Um, and um, Marilyn is is a little worried about that and Jane Russell says if the two of us are not worth uh, if if we can't empty his pockets between the two of us we're not worthy of the name woman Mm. Mm -hmm. so they um, they have well Marilyn thought to turn the heat way up so he'd have to take his jacket off and Um, They give him a drink that is equal parts scotch, whiskey, vodka, and gin to get him drunk. Wow, what does that taste like? It must taste horrible because he was horrified, but he was (laughs) totally messed up. 
and they check his jacket. There are no pick, no, there's no film in his jacket. So now they got to get his pants off. So they pour water all over him. They get his pants off. He's totally drunk. They got the film. Marilyn had it developed. So she had the film and the negatives and the pictures. And she shows them to Piggy. And she goes, you know, uh, your wife gets you. So I want your wife's tiara. Oh, yeah. very smart. So the detective goes into the room and, and their room and he pulls out a reel to reel. <laughs> it was a reel to reel listening device that he put in the room. It was a reel to reel. It was big. <laughs> they didn't notice it. Okay, so <laughs> that is had, pretty funny. He had uh, all the recording, and then he picked up the pictures too. And Jane Russell comes in to argue with him. Marilyn Monroe comes in, and uh, Jane Russell thinks she's falling in love with the slob. You keep calling her Jean Russell. Jane, uh, Jane. I mean Jane. <laughs> Jean Jane Russell. Russell. Well, Dorothy. Okay, they end up in Paris. They go shopping. They go to the hotel to check in. And the hotel concierge says, we've been expecting you. Come in this room with us, which uh, right away, you know, there's a problem. Oy, hey. There is Piggy's wife. There is Detective Malone. And there is an insurance man. And they're saying... Give us back the tiara and all will be fine. And Marilyn Monroe goes, no, he gave it to me. It's mine. Just talk to him. And the insurance guy goes, we have. He disavows any knowledge of giving it to you. <laughs> and, and, Jane... and isn't he in South Africa now? Like somehow he <laughs> hightailed it very quickly. He's probably actually in the mines right now. <laughs> And uh, Jane Russell goes, just give it to him. This will all go away. Well, she's not going to do that. They now no longer have a room, and that letter of credit Got is now canceled. null and void. Mm. It has been an hour. Oh. And so I stopped taking notes. But there are only uh, like 31 minutes left to get all of this resolved. And did we already do the diamonds are a girl's best friend bit dance number? Uh, no, uh, actually, that comes up right after the hour mark, ah, or right before. And I chose not to go into it. Now, this had been a Broadway play, and Carol Channing had been doing the the role, and nobody could see anybody else being able to do this. Yeah, role. there was some actress who it was Judy something. And they approached her first, and she said no, because I can't see anybody other than Carol Channing doing this role. Right, like Judy Holiday or somebody. Yeah, I don't know yeah. who that, I didn't know who that was, so. So then, then um, we have a POC count, at which I put zero, but that was not nope. correct. There's two. Two POCs. The two little boys... With the fezes in France, um, uh, at, they were from North Africa, but they were in Paris at the time. The two little boys were from North Africa, so yes, they were because they had on their fezes. They were refugees, or they were in. 
obviously they were immigrants of some sort. They were immigrants, but um, everybody is an immigrant. No, uh, but yes, believe me, yes. I know. But yeah, anyway, the moral of the POC count story is that this is a world that takes place where there are no people of color. Right. And so I had quickly put a zero, and then then in my tasty nuggets, I would, okay, because truth be told, I kind of fast-forwarded through some of the musical numbers. Unbelievable. I didn't watch the film until today. Today? Yeah, I was off my game. I was off my game. Wow. I watched it, like, last weekend. That's why I got a little bit hazy where I didn't even remember. I was like, wait. They, like, spill water in his pants, and he had to drink what? So that was... Yeah. Okay. Well, see, so it worked out, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Nerd alerts. I didn't put down any because this is usually where um, you talk about, you know, like, things I don't understand. There was one about their dancing because neither of them, neither Jane Russell nor Marilyn Monroe were good dancers. Really? And some, yeah, and... Oh, you didn't hear you read that part. And they somehow edited edited it so that it was only their their good dance moves they made together they made. And so it looked like a really good dance number, but it was a whole bunch of dance numbers where they only edited their good stuff. Oh, but that's film. That's how that's how you do it. And I, wow. Gwen Verdon helped out with them being able to perform some of the va 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 voom stuff. Ah. The butt shaking. Interesting. Okay, so do you have any other nerd alerts? I got some nerd alerts. So the movie, it grossed $5.3 million. It was the ninth highest grossing film of 1953. Marilyn Monroe's How to Marry a Millionaire was the fourth highest grossing um, it was weird that the, so there was critics, well, when I first started doing my research, it, critics, it seemed like critics didn't think Howard Hawks did a good job, mm-hmm. and some, and then some of them didn't like that it was changed from the 20s to the, at the time it was the 50s, so they made it, they made it modern, Oh, I didn't realize that. They didn't really like Marilyn Monroe's casting and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I just put that as an LOL because that's what everyone does. Just as a point of, like, ever since movies, we've always been doing this. Because you know how there's always all these remakes, and I do it Mm -hmm. all the time, too. I roll my eyes, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Or they'll change something and update it, and you're like, why are you setting it now? And so that's how the critics were. They're like, what was wrong with the 20s when it was set? And yeah. you're casting Marilyn Monroe in it? And and now you look at it, and it, it's, it is how it is. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. And then I was reading. So then I started reading into the analysis about it. And so a lot of came up about the male gaze. And do you know what that is, Ma? So, mm-hmm. like, Hollywood pictures and movies and entertainment, it's always, they'll refer to it as the male gaze because it's mostly men who do it, and it's the idea that the camera takes a male perspective, which sexualizes female characters. Mm-hmm. So, 
Then the articles that I was reading, it pointed out how is there anyone here for love? The Jane Russell musical number where she's going around and it's just all the, it's the gymnastics team and they're just basically treated the way that usually the women are in most musicals how they're just mm-hmm. meat they're just the backing dancers they're like none of them are even characters there is there's no character on the men's olympic team right they're just pieces of meat and so it flips that And then it kind of pointed out how in 1943, that Jane Russell movie, The Outlaw, and she was a pinup and she wasn't, it was very um, scandalous or notorious maybe because it was a Howard Hughes film and it was said that Howard Hughes invented a push-up bra that really like brought up uh, Jane Russell's boobs and stuff. But then Jane Russell said, yeah, I wore that thing. I could only wear it for a couple of minutes. It was excruciating. I just got a bra of my own and just padded it. And that's basically what you see in the movie. And Ah. that was when there was all the sensors and the codes. And so they all had to cut around it. So she was known as a pinup. And so, you know, she was used to the male gaze. And that's why there were a lot of people who gave Howard Hawks credit. Because in this movie, he flips it. And it said, like, in a slant review I read, it said, Hawk's male gaze can be hijacked by girls smart enough to control and manipulate their drooling audience. Mm. So it was kind of like, well, some people lamented the movie as that he it was clunky and that it's very lightweight. Like, not a lot goes on with it. Right. But Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe are just so magnetic that you kind of don't really care that nothing much is going on because you can't stop watching them and yeah. whatever they're doing. And even if they're doing nothing, you're just like, that's, and that's what movie stars, that was, that's what makes you a movie star is if people will just watch you doing nothing and be right. riveted. Um, the original, so, and besides the Judy Holiday, um, Fox bought this for Betty Grable. Yes. And then after Niagara, they were like, whoa, wow, Marilyn Monroe is Marilyn Monroe, guys. And Marilyn Monroe is a lot cheaper than Betty Grable because mm-hmm. Betty Grable was making $150,000 a picture. And Marilyn Monroe, we could pay her 18000 Right. So they went and they they did that. And then the rest are in my tasty nuggets. Okay. Excellent. Okay, we're to reheatables. So my negative was the whole dumb blonde thing. But the positive reheatable was that she was really smart and using the dumb blonde thing to get what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And yours? My bad reheatable, my worst reheatable. Mm-hmm. Well, besides the fact that just everyone, like, just no black people or people of color whatsoever, not even waitstaff world. Yeah, exactly. Not even the help. No one on these ocean liners. It, it was. This was just 
all one kind of people, which, okay, that that's not great, but it, that was the movie of the time, so be it. Also, um, oh, at the time, the New York Times critic Bosley Crother, this was going back to what I was saying before. He had this quote, and yet there is that about Miss Russell and Miss Monroe that keep you looking at them when they have little or nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Because he, he just wasn't, he was like, this film is so lightweight, there's nothing much to it, yeah, but it he really couldn't is, yeah. say that. So, And they had such a good charisma together. Which I got, that's why I was a little late to this podcast, because I started reading some rumors, really? and I was like, excuse me? I did not come upon these rumors that that in the there are some people who claim in this movie that Lorelai and Dorothy have a bit of a relationship, and I was like, for what? What movie was everyone else watching? I didn't see that at and all. And then I heard in real life. What? That there are rumors that they had an affair in real life, which sent me down this other hole of like all of the women that allegedly Marilyn Monroe had an affair with. Really? But this rumor was such that in the the HBO um, Marilyn Monroe biopic, Norma Jean Marilyn, that was like from back in 1996, that they included it in that film. Wow. I'm just like, okay. So, so, but they did get along great on the set. (laughs) So, I I don't know. Take with that what you will. But that's why I was like, wait, they had an affair maybe? I didn't see that alluded to in the movie at all. Well, they, the people... The the argument for it was that how Jane Russell was taller and more masculine. Yeah. And um Marilyn Monroe was blonde and smaller and feminine. And I'm like, yeah, they were they're like the odd couple. That's why they're right. opposites and they're friends and stuff. Right. But then it's like that they have like they <laughs> it uh yeah. I was just like, I didn't really see that that was the subtext of this that this film was going for but okay hmm alrighty then okay do you have any other bad reheatables or do you have good reheatables I have good reheatables I don't really have any I don't there's not really anything that bad I didn't I didn't have good or bad reheatables bad reheatable Uh, like looking back at it Owning diamond mines in South Africa. I mean, nothing oh, yeah. good is that. That's a yeah. humanitarian crisis right there. Yeah. Because that just implies yeah. that you yeah. are totally for apartheid and you have fleeced an entire country. Yes. Of, of their, their natural resources. Yes, to make Stripping you them of their agency and you yes. are just becoming blindly filthy rich off That's of true. them. 
And sexualizing any gender is not okay. Yeah, but I like that it was flipped. I mean, it's, I did. It's, I did put that as a positive. It's one of those things where you, you know, you live in the in a world where it's like it should be equal, but it, since the world isn't equal, it's like you know what? I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna yeah. take this win. Yeah, the reverse male. Yeah, days. and people will be like, but you shouldn't because it's not, you wouldn't like that if there were women doing it to them, and it's like yeah, but let's look at the scoreboard. Yeah. Scoreboard. They did, they did sexualize both Marilyn and Jane in this. I mean, their boobs were front and center the entire time. Yes. But so. they were also using it. Yes. For, like they had control to get of what their they bodies wanted. to yes. get what they wanted. They had an Agreed. agency in it. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Are we to MVP? Oh, no. I don't have my. So my best reheatable. Oh. How can it not be the best? It may be your MVP, but you don't even have to watch this movie to know diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yeah. It's iconic. The it pink is. dress, which nerd alert slash tasty nugget. Yes. Originally, they wanted her to just Marilyn Monroe to just be wearing strips of black velvet with rhinestones all over it to make her look like a woman-sized necklace. Yes. And the studio was like, guys, yeah, no, that's this too is, revealing. Yeah. And I don't know whose genius idea it was to just... I'm not even a huge fan of pink and stuff, but the dress is iconic with the long yes. gloves and stuff. Yes. And yes. then all the guys in the tuxedos and her whole thing. And then another nerd alert. She's singing and Marnie Nixon. Mm-hmm. They the studio thought that Marilyn Monroe's singing voice was a joke and wanted right. to Marty Nub Marnie Nixon to dub the entire thing. But Marnie Nixon said, No, her voice is fine. In fact, it's perfect for the character that she yes. is. So no. So Marnie Nixon, she overdubbed all the high parts, like the right. nose at the beginning. And the phrase, uh, these rocks don't lose their shape, she sang. But everything else was Marilyn Monroe. So that was my good reheatable. The 12-year-old little boy. Yeah, he was good. He was so great because he was just an old man in a 12-year-old boy's body with his uh, gravelly, croaky voice. I loved him. (laughs) I loved his comedic timing. Yeah. Him working with, with Marilyn Monroe, it was just a, a great scene all around. Yeah, when she's stuck in the porthole, yeah. there's a whole comedic scene there. And he, like, that kid, man, that kid, his character <laughs> being that rich, he knows he, he, it's like he's so worldly. He knows he's rich. He knows he's always going to have pretty women after him because he's rich. And yet he's still somehow cranky, but cranky in like a nice way. It was <laughs> he's, great. He's a 12-year-old Larry David. Yeah, basically. Except like, but he, he doesn't have all the cynicism yet. He'll Not get yet. there. Eventually he'll become Larry David. Because he does have a line in there. I, don't, I, don't, I forget the first part, but he essentially says, but I, I can't appreciate, you know, a, a yeah. A good looking woman or something. He's not dumb. 
It's like, yeah, you're gorgeous. Then, yeah. and also another great reheatable is the Jane Russell, go like her her whole scene. The is there anyone here for love? How she's going through the whole Olympic team and stuff. That was entertaining. Her whole performance was entertaining. Mm-hmm. How she's she's just objectifying all these guys, and it's great because, and that's what they're saying about her performance because. It's like she knows what it's like to be objectified. Yeah. So she's looking. And they said a lot of like how they, they, Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell seem to be looking at the audience and at the camera. So they're also in control in that way of how, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm smoking. I know you're looking at me like this. I'm objectifying all of these guys. Yes. And I get to pick who I want. Do you think that you even have a chance? Hmm? So that was good. And then the, we already mentioned it. When Laura Lai comes in, she's like, I can just eat in my cabin. Oh, yeah. you don't you don't want to play ball? Ex- excuse me. I I am the marketplace. I am the one who sets the price. I'm the product. If you don't have me, you have nothing. You may think that I'm dumb and I'm blonde, but I'm smart enough to know that. So, and the way that she says it, though, is also genius because she doesn't say it like me, like a smart ass. Right. She's just like, oh, well, what if I just eat in my cabin then? Which even the way that she she's running this con, well, it's not even a con. She's just taking the power back, but she's not being blunt and mean about it she's taking the power back in her quote unquote dumb blonde persona exactly which is pretty awesome that's just like wow she's playing chess yes yes and the other person doesn't even know during the game and and then when he realizes it he's just like she got me (laughs) dudes at your table okay mvp time Mm mm-hmm my MVP is okay. Marilyn Monroe was making eighteen thousand dollars for this film. Five hundred a week. Jane Russell got two hundred thousand dollars for this film. She was the lead. Marilyn Monroe. The studio was reluctant to to work with her on her contract. She could be. Um, she had some emotional problems. She could be. Difficult? She could be vacant and not show up, etc. But uh, she kind of did the same thing. She said, okay, you aren't going to uh, help me fix my contract. I'm going to um, start my own production company. MMP, Marilyn Monroe Productions. Second woman to start her own production company. Behind Lucille Ball? No, behind Mary Pickford. Ah. Uh- Mm-hmm. That's my MVP. But M M, I thought that there were like some TV show that I would watch as a kid that was M. But maybe that was Mary Mary Tyler Moore that I'm thinking of. Um, that was Mary Tyler Moore. I think Lucille Ball was Desi Lou. Well, so yeah, it was Lucille her Ball husband had, and her. She had Desi Lou, but there was somebody that when I was a kid, and they would be the, you know the old shows on the syndic syndication shows, mm-hmm. and it would be some show, and it would. Somebody would come up and I'd be like, oh, but I could be thinking that it was Mary Tyler Moore's production company. 
but I don't know. After I Love Lucy, she might have started her own after she divorced Desi. But that was not in, in 53. Oh, and your MVP. Yeah. That was true, 53. Well, my MVP was Marilyn Monroe. Excellent. Because, I mean, Jane Russell was great in it, but, you know, Marilyn Monroe is... Marilyn Monroe died in 1963, and she's still Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Like, kids today who don't, like, you know, when I was a kid, you would, because there were still only the four channels or whatever, you would get it. I would see reruns of shows like Happy Days and the Mary Tyler Moore show mm -hmm. and things that, like, that you used to watch, but that would be reruns. So there are jokes mm -hmm. that even though I wasn't alive in the 70s, I still have references to All in the Family or the Jeffersons, you know, or Good Times because I would see those in the afternoon. But kids With today... Three's Company. Yeah, the Three's Company. But kids today, they don't get... That's true. ...exposed to that. So there, I've noticed that there's a big cutoff of, like, if it didn't happen in their life when they were cognizant of it, they don't know what it is. Whereas even though something that didn't happen in my life, I could still know what it is just from older people's pop culture. Because that was the, like your pop culture that you watched was the pop culture of like older people until you got older. But now they're watching things from people that are their own age making things. So yeah. they're not getting any of the history and stuff. But still my point is, they still know who Marilyn Monroe yeah. is. Even, even with all that. Even with Marilyn. all that. Yeah. Like, they might not know who James Dean is, but it's like, they know who Marilyn Monroe is. And they yeah. might not know exactly who she is, like, oh, all her movies or anything, but they know, like, oh, the blonde, the, the white dress, the different, the pink dress. They know, they, they know the name. They're like, oh, yeah, Marilyn Monroe. That's iconic. That is true. That is true. Okay. Recasting. Oh, all right. How many did you do? I did Piggy, Piggy Mr. Esmond, the fiance, Malone, the um, private investigator, Dorothy, and Lorelai. Did you do, like, how many casts, I mean? Just one. Oh, I did two. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start. Okay. So my piggy, my my old man who, you know, he, he was totally like, uh, he he was infatuated with Marilyn Monroe, but but his wife ruled the roost, but he had some comedic stuff going on. So I have uh, David Allen Greer. Oh, that's a good one. Because he could definitely play with that role. Okay, so Mr. Esmond was like a, um, he was totally, he was like, um, well, his daddy ruled him. Well, he was a nerdlinger. He was a nerdlinger. So I gave it to my my nerdlinger Kevin Hart. 
Ah. I had a lot of trouble with Malone because in the beginning, you didn't know Malone was a decent guy. At the end, he became a decent guy, but in the mm -hmm. beginning, you didn't know. So I had a really hard time. And as I was, you know, Googling black actors. Yeah, you're basically looking for the black Tom Hanks. Good luck. Well, and I didn't go with a black Tom Hanks, but I didn't go with a real, I went with T.I. You have a quite a short cast. <laughs> have I done T.I.? No, I'm talking about height wise. You're just, yep. well, there you everyone go. Everyone is very short. That's, that's. But T.I. Well, is good. That is, that's good. I can see that. Okay, so my Dorothy, you know, she had to be the Spitfire, um, the one who was, uh, you know, sexualizing the gymnastics team and such. I went with Janelle Monet. Oh, that's a good Dorothy. Now, Lorelai was hard. Lorelai was the first one that I got. Oh, man. I nailed it for Lorelai. And then I had to go back and do it for everyone else. Because I was like, ooh. So who would you come I, up she with? She was my last one to do because she had to be able to be that dumb character. That, that's why I nailed Because I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went with, because this person had to be able to be va-va-va-voom. I went with Gabrielle Union. That's good. Okay, so let me hear yours. All right, so I have two casts. Here is my, I guess we're call, calling it the Hamilton cast. Yes. So for my Ernie Malone, it was hard. I just kind of mm -hmm. picked this guy because I hadn't before. And, and That's how he I kind of seems too. like a cop. And so he's on this show called American Gods that's on stars. And his name is Ricky Whittle. Okay, I don't know Ricky Whittle. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, you, like, yeah, he, he, he'd, he'd be good. For Piggy, I was just like, Cedric the Entertainer. Oh, yeah. I didn't do Piggy's wife. But, you know what? Piggy's wife, off the top of my head, um, who is that woman? She played Josephine Baker. Lynn. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Lynn oh something something yeah Lynn, da, da, da. yeah Lynn, yeah yes for gus we needed somebody who was nerdy and yeah this is typecasting but i was like wait who was shaft jr in the shaft remake because he was nerdy and very charming yes so i went with jesse usher yes all yes. right that's very good. So then for my Dorothy, I know I went back to this well because, I mean, I'm a big fan, and I think she would just nail Dorothy. Which Regina did you go with? I went with Regina Hall. There you go. Now, Lorelai is yeah. someone that I, from the jump, because I've been watching Claws, and I was oh. like, oh my gosh, Virginia in Claws is totally Lorelai. Like, she, I'm like, so it's, her name's Karuchi Tran. 
She plays Virginia on Claws. And, you know, Virginia's character, she's very dumb, but she isn't just dumb. Like, she can be smart when she needs to be. And it's, she's just very good at playing that sort of clueless character. And I was just like, that was the first, when I was watching Claws, I was like, oh my gosh, you could totally do the Marilyn Monroe part. Because she's so good at being so dumb. Yeah. But she could totally be blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. People, I had to look her up on Google. It's okay. I was just like, well, because I watch Claws and you don't really. Correct. But I'm like, that was the first one that I had way back. I was like, oh, that's who. And then I had to fill out the cast. But then, so then because I had done Regina Hall, Regina Hall was in this movie and there was this, this actress in it. And she was fantastic, and she played. She really took. It's this movie called Support the Girls, and she took over. She was just one of those great characters where you're just like, who is this? And I thought she would be fantastic as Lorelai. Her name is Haley Lou Richardson, so she would be my Lorelai. Have to look that up. Then I'm like, all right, I need. I need like um a Dorothy. And at first, my mind went to Sandra Bullock, but I'm I'm like I'm not trying to be like ageist or anything, but that's a bit of an age difference. So I was like, let's see, like who else, who else we can go with. Dare I say it? I don't know if they could pull it off, but I would be interested in it. Vanessa Kirby as Dorothy. And we know Vanessa Kirby from from The Crown and Hobbs and Shaw. <gasps> she's the she's the she was Princess Margaret. Yes, yes, she could totally pull it off. So then yes. I'm yes. like, all right. So now who is Gus, the nerdy guy? And then this popped into my head, and it made I laughed for five minutes solid. Uh oh. And I'm like, man, this my movie has taken a different direction. But you know what? I'm gonna go with it because how hilarious would it be if Gus Esmond was Mr. Bean? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That would be perfect. Him sitting out there in the audience, just being like Mr. his eyes Bean. literally bugging out of his head. Yeah, and the only yeah. reason that she's with him is because he's, he's got, got money. money. But yeah, yeah, he is Mr. Bean, so he does have like not for everyone else, but for her, you could see him having a certain charm. Yes. So then my yeah. my piggy, I was like, well, it's right there in the name. Why are we working harder than we need to? Ned Beatty, come on down. Oh, God. You're piggy. Oh, God. God. Yes. But it makes sense, too. It's uncomfortable, but then it makes sense. Yeah. Squeal like a pig. So then I needed Ernie Malone. Who's it, you know? That's a hard one. Not so hard when you hear who I came up with. Okay. Bill Hader. (gasps) Nailed it. Yes, because if you see him in Barry, he could be a hard ass, but he, oh, yes, yes. There you have it. And I was like, you know what? I would pay money to see this. 
Well done. Mm -hmm. Well done. Wow, that was good. Okay, friends, we're on to tasty nuggets. Okay. Well, you know, before the whole implication of the Jane Russell Marilyn Monroe twist. <laughs> um, Allegedly. They, they said they got along really well. Sometimes Jane Russell was the only one who could get Marilyn Monroe out of her trailer. Well. Well, she wouldn't get her back in the trailer. <laughs> Okay, we talked about the money and that um, Marilyn Monroe was the lowest paid top star in the business at the time. Yeah, she was just making $500 a week. When they showed this film in France, they cut the part where um, with the North African boys at the it, that's the end of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, right? I think so. They cut that part because them dancing with two North African boys was inappropriate. I mean, <laughs> there's it's so they weren't even. It's just like okay, they were they were very light skinned. <laughs> they were, and this is my thing because Josephine Baker, a lot of black people, black entertainers went to Paris. Because Baldwin, they, James Baldwin was like, see America, I'm going to live in right, France. They were accepted there. But they and were they, famous black people. Well, that's true. I don't know how many just regular black people were, you know, in Alabama and said, you know what? I've heard great things about France. They treat well, Josephine they Baker fine. Right. Let me get on one of these steam liners that no, you're not allowed to. I can't even get to France to see yeah. what Josephine Baker's life is like. Okay. Um, there is the bit where Jane Russell falls in the pool. Uh -huh. um, that was an accident. It looked like an accident. Yeah, but they thought it was so funny they left it in. And she, she kept going with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Marilyn Monroe was told that she was not the star of this film. And she said, it's okay. I'm still the blonde. Because Marilyn Monroe was obsessed with, like, uh, who is her? Jean Harlow. Yeah. Because Marilyn Monroe had a really messed up childhood. Marilyn Monroe never knew her father. Her mother was in a psychiatric facility. So she grew up in foster homes and in orphanages. And when she was in foster homes, she was sexually abused many times so she suffered from addiction depression and anxiety who wouldn't yeah. and then she got this notoriety on being a sex pot and that so she I well mean, that she, was when what? because in between like the foster things she there were some relatives that she no it wasn't a relative it was like her mom's best friend that for a while she stayed with and her but mom's they, best friend would always take her to the movies. And her mom's best friend was, like, obsessed with Jean Harlow as well. Right, right. And so that's, like, from an early age, I I would assume that, she associates Jean Harlow and the blonde bombshell with the best times of her childhood. Well, yeah, and with escape from what she was living. Yeah. So we've talked about Jean Harlow before and the 
the bleach she put on her hair is, you know, messing with her brain. So I'm thinking in the 50s, even though hair products were probably better, they still probably weren't great. Yeah, probably wasn't great. But then just, I think that was probably like put that at number 15 on the list. Exactly. Because because her family had... Yeah, it was her mother in a psychiatric place. I mean, she had a history of mental illness in her family. In her family, Then her upbringing and the abuse that she had to endure as a child. She got married when she was like 15 or something. Because... To get away from it all. Well, the the friends who, who were... She was living with, they were moving to West Virginia. She wasn't going to go with them. So the only way not to get put back in the system was to marry somebody. So she married somebody who was 20 and she was, this says 16, but she was probably 15. Yeah. So, I mean, this is my thing. You mean that um, nobody in the studios cared enough to, to try to help her out? No! Because Marilyn Monroe's story is like that of so many other people in Hollywood. You've listened to You Must Remember This. Hollywood is a train wreck of just, it uses people up and it spits them out. It's only in 2019 that there's even been a movement that was like, yeah, this bit oh, about the true. casting couch that's and true. the directors and stuff. That's 2019. You're going to tell yeah. me in 1953 that somebody at the studio wasn't like, wait a second. This woman is have, is very fragile right now. We need to help her out. No. They were like, we have this woman on a $500 yeah, a week contract. We need her to crank out more movies. We are making so much money off of her. On her. Right. Just give her a shot. Tell the so, doctor to get so she they probably like she's depressed. Give her methamphetamines. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they supplied her with all the drugs, the ones that would get her out on the out on the stage, and the ones that would put her to sleep when she was back. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping. And then maybe like she, okay, maybe she had a doctor, but still, these are like psychologists in 1953. So yeah, you know, science kind of. <laughs> You go back and you and you read about how we learned things about like washing our hands and stuff. It was trial and error. Okay. So psychologists okay. in 1953 maybe weren't at the top of their game yet. So who knows? I'm kind of hoping stuff. that she did have a relationship with Jane Russell and that it was a loving one. Dude, not just Jane Russell. Oh my well, gosh. Do you want to know who like? Yes. They also said in this rather shady. Oh, you know, you know, those slideshows that are on the oh, internet slideshows and then you have to go through all the ads. Oh, okay. my. Well, no, this was luckily was a scroll one. So it made me wonder if it was more on the up and up. Mm, a okay. lot of people that I didn't know, um, uh, like acting coaches and stuff. And then like a lot of like a- other actresses. But, you know, Marlena Dietrich, definitely on the list. Well, Greta Garbo was on the list. Okay. Jane Russell was on the list. Um, Judy Garland was on the list. Uh, you know, but, and then you factor in all the drugs that they took. I know. So they and wouldn't even know what they were 
Bridget Bardot was on the list. Oh, I hope Bridget Bardot was good to Marilyn. Um, I mean, I want her to. Oh, the um, what's her name was on the list. Um, Mommy Dearest, Joan Crawford was on the list. Oh, that's scary. And then so, but now like that was the top of the list. Now we're rounding it into like in the top five area. Um. Because I already mentioned Marlene Dietrich and Greta Garbo and stuff like that. Jane Russell. Okay. Number two was like, excuse me. Literally, that's why I was late to this. Was like, what? What? Jackie Onassis. Kennedy. No, I don't believe that. I was like, what? Oh. But then I realized I was late, and so I couldn't really go into it because, number one, I was like, what? Okay. Elizabeth Taylor. See, I've been thinking of Elizabeth Taylor this whole time because... Because Monroe had a type? (laughs) No, because Elizabeth Taylor would have been through it all, too. Um, Wow. Okay, well, maybe Jackie wanted to know, you know what jack and bobby were into i don't know then there were other then there were other articles about um that jane russell said that she and i didn't read it it was just the headline that said my friend marilyn didn't commit suicide so then i'm like great because there's all those conspiracy theories that i didn't even get into because um yeah there was like one confirmed time that she and jfk were together and then she kept calling him and he refused to answer because it became a stalker type situation i mean she what a sad life i know and you, you just think like oh, i mean she was with joe dimaggio and like and then arthur miller and then all of these alleged rendezvous but it was she always had the quote she was like i'll never be happy and it's just like oh man no, because, Jeez. yeah, she was, oh, wow. Yeah, ah, I'm fine. I'll be poor as long as I have my happiness. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. Exactly. Wow. Well, that's that. Those were my tasty nuggets. Oh, did I have any more I tasty nuggets? I you've given us a few of yours. Well, I just, I found that out. I was just like, well, I, I, I think I already mentioned how gentlemen, gentlemen marry brunettes. Um, yes. Jane Russell was in it, but then they had Jean, Janine Crane, or Jean Crane, but they played different characters. Right. They, they have di- different names and stuff. And this movie was highly successful, and they wanted to they wanted to re-team Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe, and I forgot the movie that they wanted it to be, but yeah. Marilyn Monroe read the script, and she was like, I don't like this. So... Because she had become, like, a serious actress. Well, she got into, you know, the method acting. Because right. she was so pretty that she got very self-conscious about her acting. And that's why it kind of makes sense with Elizabeth Taylor when I was reading it also. Because, you know, Elizabeth Taylor was so attractive. But there was, like, you know, real talent and stuff. But, but she felt that people weren't seeing the real talent because they were just so right. blinded by their beauty. Oh, it's so hard to be so beautiful. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I have no idea but what actually, that's like. it, It's not necessarily a gift. 
but it can be a curse. So then yeah. Marilyn Monroe got into um, method acting. And With, the, what's his name? Who was that famous? Yeah, I would. School. It's like the something method. Stanislavski yeah. yeah. method. Strasburg. Strasburg, yeah. Yeah, that Strasburg was on the list. She was on the list. I see that. I totally see that. And the acting coach before she was on the list. Yeah. People are going to take, take, take. So, yeah. So then she got really into, like, really studying acting because she really wanted to be good at it. Because I, in this film, she kept wanting retakes even after the director said it was great um, because she was so unsure of herself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Hollywood would just be like, like, it was such, uh, just cat and mouth, mouse and just cut the road and yeah, everyone's after everyone else, at least according to Feud. <laughs> yes. But not just Feud, just like every other story ever. Right, right. How- and all the children, how messed up they get when they're. Mm-hmm child actors and well then like you hear like there were stories where people would get their women would get certain teeth taken out to create yeah. jaw bones they would get ribs removed ribs taken out yeah like yeah. oh my gosh well like shirley mclean in postcards from the edge her character had had to have her eyebrows shaved because they were messed up and then they never grew back in so yeah I mean, people went through a lot. People who would do different things to their hairlines. and Anyway, but we're ending on a negative note, but it was a good movie. It just mm-hmm. entertained me. This just is light entertaining. You just want to see movie stars being movie stars. Exactly. Lots of glamour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I felt like we needed something light at the end of summer. Nice. So next week, <gasps> what is the date of next week? I don't know. What is the date of next week? Oh, it's not yet September, my precious. Oh, I know. Okay, so you already have a... I do. Okay, so next week, Saturday is the 24th. The following one is the 31st, which is still August. So we don't start Paul until September 7th. Unless you want to, because that the thirty first is your pick. It is. So you can start it if you want to. I have something in mind. Oh, unless right. you um, take that right now. I doubt it. If I did, though, it would be really weird. Okay, then it's not. I already mentioned this movie earlier in this podcast. In this podcast, if you were paying attention. Seven year itch mentioned. Mm-hmm. You mentioned. You want a date? Oh, sure. 1946. Yee. Um, um, that was right after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, genre. <sighs> um, vamp a bit. Let me see the genre. Vamp, I, ma, vamp. I, I, Come on. I, 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 Film um, noir. 
Oh, film noir. I read a film noir. <gasps> okay, so I'm going to know because I read about it, but I don't remember what you said. I mentioned it. Is Marilyn Monroe in it? Nope. So it's not Niagara. But two, at least two major movie stars are. Did you mention the movie stars as, as far as having relationships with Marilyn Monroe? No. Okay. Okay, let's just let's just rip the band-aid off. Can I give you let me give you a a movie yeah. star? It's the same director. As this one? Mm -hmm. Howard Hawks. A Howard Hawks film. Oh shoot. Why didn't I pay attention when you were talking? It was something you said at the very beginning, other films that he had done. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh yeah, we need to do that. It wasn't Seven Year Itch. It was... I don't think he did Seven Year Itch. Okay, never mind. He, um... Um, um, okay, what? Humphrey Bogart? <gasps> North by Northwest. No, he didn't. Ma, I, uh, unbelievable. You know Alfred Hitchcock did North by Northwest. I do, I do, I do. Humphrey Bogart. Well, it's not Casablanca. Lauren Bacall. Oh, we've already done. Based on the book by the same name by Raymond Chandler. Oh, just tell me. The Big Sleep. See, I never would have gotten it. The Big Sleep had Humphrey and Lauren. Mm-hmm. Okay. The screenplay is by William Faulkner, Lee Brackett, and Jules Firthman. Like what? That William Faulkner? I don't know anything about The Big Sleep. I know that it's a film noir, and I know that Humphrey Bogart is in it, and Lauren Bacall, and I've always heard about it. I do love me some film noir. Oh, Lauren All Bacall right is Vivian Rutledge. Oh, I've heard that name before. That has to have been mentioned in something we've seen before. And Humphrey Bogart is private detective Philip Marlowe. That sounds so familiar. I know. Well, we've heard about it a lot. It's one of those things that gets dropped in a lot, and that's what this podcast is about. What is this the big sleep I've heard so much about? Excellent. I am looking forward. How long is it? I think it's two hours. That's, I, that's doable. It's not over two hours. Okay. It's 104. It might be 116 minutes. The re-released cut. I am looking forward to the big sleep. Well, listeners, we hope you have enjoyed this episode since we've been off the air for a couple weeks. Hope you didn't miss us too much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess there you go. Well, there you go. You have to next do... week. What? You know how to end it. Uh, bye bye. <laughs>